which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Music Dissectors recorded February 28th 2018. I'm your host David Holloway and my valued co-host as always is Matthew J.C. Powell. How are you Matthew? I'm fine. How are you David? Good. You're sounding great for late at night. <laughs> I, th- I thought I'd do my, my announcer voice. Yes, announcer voice is good. You, you've good got to a, hear from you David. You've got a good voice and face for radio. <laughs> um... Yeah, so it's nice to be back, and I I feel like I'm constantly apologising for delays, although it's not a massive delay, but we are a week or two over our month schedule, and that's just life getting in the way. Although I've actually got one excuse. I've actually seen a few shows, um, not least of which was I saw Roger Waters a few weeks back. My goodness, man. Um, and was blown away, I have to say. I, I knew he was a good performer and obviously understand that he's performing, or well, half of it was Pink Floyd's song, so you can't lose there. Um, mm. The staging of it just blew my mind. But um, have you seen any shows, Matthew, since? I know you had your McCartney binge, but nothing I, since I, then. I had McCartney. I haven't been to a concert since, since McCartney. I, I've been watching movies. It's, yes. it's Oscar season. True. So I, I have been in cinemas a lot Excellent. Uh, of late. And uh, and I, I I do have a pick for what's going to win best picture, but I'm not going to tell tell you what it is. Um, I'm, I'll tell you Tuesday. Oh yeah, is that when the Oscars are on? Uh, well, the Oscars are on Monday, so I'll tell you I'll tell you Tuesday, and you'll think that I was right. <laughs> That's right. That's it's all about credibility. Well, actually, we 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 can edit this thing. Well, I'll tell you right now that uh, the best picture Oscar is absolutely going to go to, and then we'll we'll just fill that in. We'll fill that in later. <laughs> The, the, the listeners won't know. Go That's on. right. No, trust me in the edit. I'll make make that work. Great. <laughs> uh, now, speaking of cinem- cinematic, although I think I'm drawing a long bow here, speaking of, of cinematic, the album we're talking about this week is um, Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. So, la 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 ti da. Except that's not. Oh. That's, that's that's some of the, that's some of the greatest lyrics ever written. Good old brown eyed girl. I think that's in the top <laughs> ten of most overplayed cover band songs as a cover band musician. I actually like it and I can play it, but I it think does, it does it does well at karaoke as well because everybody knows the lyrics. That's right. La 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 la. You cannot lose. Yeah, you can't. Um, <laughs> Sorry, my chair just broke. <laughs> oh, your chair broke. Let's see. You you hear it all here live oh, on the music dissectors. Um, and it's a pleasure to have John Fulcher. Um, on the podcast, and John, as you'll hear, actually went to the trouble of writing an essay about Astral Weeks and, and Van Morrison's work on it, uh, and so he, he came to my attention via a friend, 
Um, and as soon as I heard that John had written this essay, I thought, well, there's someone that has a passion for a particular album. I'd love to speak with him. So we're very grateful for John for taking the time. So thank you, John. Um, so yeah, let's jump into the interview on Van Morrison and Astral Weeks. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream, where my world still runs crack. Hi, John, and thanks heaps for joining us tonight. Pleasure. So you're a bit of a special customer, John, because I can I think I can safely say, and we've had some wonderful guests over the last, uh, well, this is the um, 11th episode, the last 10 episodes, uh, we've had some great guests, but I, I know for a fact you're the first one that's had such a passion for the album that they're discussing that they've actually gone to the trouble of writing an essay about it and so um yeah thank you for doing that and i'm probably keen to start off with just what made you decide to do the essay so we'll obviously talk lots about astral weeks but what was the thing that tipped you over the edge to go i love this album so much that i decided to write a substantial piece of information about it probably what you just said i love the album so much i thought (laughs) i'd put it all down in one place there we go podcast sorted (laughs) what do you say matthew That was fast. Yeah. See, thanks for coming. Um, I've written. Uh, sorry, I've read a lot of books about uh, Van Morrison, and and I've got a lot of source material. Mm. And I just thought um, I've basically been listening to this album for nearly fifty years since it uh, first came out, and uh, to me, it just sounds as fresh as the day it was recorded. And so, for me, it's uh, very much alive. And uh, I just wanted to put everything down that I'd come across. Excellent. And you, you raised a really good point there that I hadn't actually thought of, that it's, yeah, it's the 50th anniversary of the lease this year. I, I actually haven't noticed right. which month it was released, but I assume we haven't hit the 50th yet. But, um, no, not yet. Uh, so, yeah, that's incredible. So, and do you remember where and when you first heard it, John? I was thinking about that the other day. It was probably in the early 70s when I was living in Brisbane. Um, I'd been a fan of um, Van Morrison for quite some time, since my teenage years. Just about everybody I knew had a, a vinyl single of um, Baby Please Don't Go and yeah. Gloria. Mm. Um, very popular uh, in its day. And then a little bit later, I think it was 67, uh, Brown Eyed Girl was a, a hit in the mm. pop charts. But I hadn't listened to a whole lot of Van Morrison subsequently. And a friend of mine in Brisbane, Wayne, he uh, reintroduced me to uh, Van Morrison's albums in the early 70s. I think the first one I listened to was his band in the street choir and then maybe Moondance. And then I went back and discovered Astral Weeks from there. So it would have been, I don't know, 73, something like that. So it was a process of discovery and it was a slow burner. It didn't sort of grab me straight away. I was more taken uh, immediately by... um, Albums like Moondance because that's so um, um, accessible and uh, such great tunes yeah. on that. But then I went back and tracked down this uh, Astral Weeks subsequently and uh, it uh, took a little while to get there. But then I thought, what the hell is this? This is not like anything else I've ever heard. 
this is like um, stepping into another dimension almost. It's like transformational. Um, as he says in the title tracker, to be born again in another world, in another place. And so that's how it struck me after listening to it for a couple of months, maybe a year or so. Mm. And it's, it's never left. It's always been the same subsequently. And uh, for me, it's just the best music that's ever been recorded. It's, it, it, it's actually surprisingly you're not the only person who feels that. It's, there's, that's right. There's actually a number of people who, I mean, it, it pretty consistently rates in uh, in magazines and, uh, and and radio programs sort of top ten albums of all time. But there's a, there's a few lists that it uh, it comes in at number one. It's sort of just, just the best album ever. It's just um, amazing. And it, but it didn't sell much at the time. It took well, like it, it, it's, it still 30, 30 years or more. 30 years or more to go gold. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't it, think it ever made the still not, not, a, not a huge album, no. I I I, I believe it, it, it. No, it it didn't make the charts in its day. I, I believe that uh, reissue a few years ago scraped the bottom of the Billboard 200. Okay, um, <laughs> but that, I, I think that's its highest chart position. Sort of, yeah. So, so, so somewhere down down the bottom of the Billboard 200 uh, as a, as a reissue. Um, but in terms of uh, critical response, it's just been overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but again, as you say, as a slow burn. I mean, it it really kind of it took off in terms of popularity after. Sorry, you'll have to you'll have to give me a moment here to remember the guy's name. The guy who was in guy, guy depicted by uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Almost Famous. What's that guy? Lester Bangs. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Lester Lester Bangs did a, a huge review of it in Cream magazine, uh, about 1974. Right. Uh, something like six years after the thing was released. Um, and, and, and it was this massive essay, and, and that uh, that review is is credited with sort of bringing the album to to much wider attention and, and, and giving it the cult status. Uh, but you know that, that's that's a long time after the, after an album's released to get that kind of attention. That's right. But a lot of people uh, can't actually explain what it is about it. It's sort of like a bit of an enigma at the same time. It just strikes people, and it strikes them very deeply. And it's interesting you mentioned that, John, about um, about it being an enigma because um, you also said that it was it took a while to grow on you, and and I found the same thing as far as uh, I hadn't listened to this album end to end before, and I've struggled. I've listened to it four times now, and I still don't <laughs> feel, feel like it's grown on me. I don't know about you, Matthew. Well, actually, I, I came at it from uh, from entirely the wrong end. Um, in, in that, uh, I, many, many years ago, uh, obtained from somewhere a copy of the best of Van Morrison yes, a co- compilation album, <laughs> which is, which is, which is the worst way to introduce yourself to an yes. artist. Um, but, uh, sweet thing, uh, is on the best of Van Morrison, uh, which is a track from Astral Weeks. And when I listen to the best of Van Morrison, of course, most of it is poppy, accessible songs, mm. Brown Eyed Girl, yes. uh, and, and so mm. on, so Moondance. Uh, and then there's there's Sweet Thing that is like nothing else on the album. And it, the whole structure of it, the whole kind of um, concept of it, the, the, the musicality of it, it's like, th- this is not how pop songs go. And I was strong and merry when jumped the hedges. Well, I will drink the clear, clean water for the quench my thirst. 
Uh, the, the the way that the string part is kind of discordant, it it barely hangs together, mm. uh, but it does, it, and it works, and 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 it's sort of this, this is odd, and intriguing, um, and found out that okay, sweet thing is from this album called Astral Weeks. Okay, well let's have a listen to that then. It feels familiar. It actually, it's like okay, well this fits. Mm. Sweet, yeah. sweet thing yeah. fits here. I, I, all of a sudden, there's this sort of oddness and strangeness of sweet thing, you know, in in the weird context of a compilation album. But you listen to Astral Weeks, and it's like okay, okay, cool. This is where it's right. This is where it belongs. This is where it belongs. And so, so when when I first heard Astral Weeks, it was from having had that weird experience of of encountering sweet thing out of context. Mm. So Astral mm. Weeks actually felt right and familiar. <laughs> but that's an interesting intro to it because it's probably the most accessible song on Astral Weeks. Mm. Once you listen to the rest of the album, there's so much more there. So it's a really nice introduction when you think about it. And Matthew, kind of, yeah. I'm guessing you're one of, and I, I'm in, in, in exactly the same boat in that my real introduction to Van Morrison was via The Greatest Hits. And playing yeah. in cover bands where I've, you know, endlessly played Brown Eyed Girl in particular and, and Moondance. Um, so, yeah, and I, sadly, though, it's been that long since I listened to Grace Hits, I hadn't even picked up on um, the fact that there was a song from Astral Weeks on it, which I should have realised. Um, but let's go back to the recording then, John, and as someone that's written an essay, and I know you'll know a fair bit about this, so... My understanding is that Van Morrison had some interesting um, legal issues in the lead-up to this... Um, and so he, he went into the studio, and, and what's your understanding of how the, the sessions were done and, and how it went? Okay, so it was recorded in, in two separate sessions, 48 hours total, and a lot of the tracks were just first takes, and they were essentially jam sessions, because none of the um, session musicians knew Van Morrison beforehand. They all came from a jazz background, so they were used to uh, jamming together. And Morrison essentially walked into the studio, didn't say anything, and hid away in a booth by himself. And <laughs> when a couple of them asked what to play, he just said, whatever you like. And so they followed him with the strumming on his guitar. And um, that was it. It was essentially a, a jam session. And a lot of the songs were um, first takes. Um, the... Uh, standout one being the title track, Astral Weeks. Mm. That was the first and only take of that. So 48 hours total, which sounds incredible by today's standards. Absolutely. I wanted to mention, I mean, we, we, were, we were talking earlier, sort of have we, have we actually reached uh, the, uh, the 50th anniversary of the album yet? I mean, the, the recording sessions were, were the 25th of September, 68, and then the 1st of October, 68. Um, and, then the, and then those overdubs for the... Um, for the string section and, and some brass, I think, mm. uh, were on the 15th of October, 1968. And then the album was released in November. So yes. from, from, from the end of September, three sessions, including overdubs, and we got an album out in November. And it's mm. this. I mean, that doesn't happen. No. That, that kind of time frame. You know, remember, you're, you're talking about a time when 
you know, the Beatles took a year to make the White Album, that mm. kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, but uh, even in the, even in the day, it was sessions. unusual. Yeah, because you remember that was hot on the heels of um, Sgt. Pepper's, for example, where they took uh, months to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty amazing time frame. And it shows to, you to, the to, whole to camera- an album that Sorry, the whole camaraderie. It shows you the whole camaraderie thing with bands is overrated. It shows you that just going in, not communicating, saying, "Hey, play along with this," is the way to produce an album. Well, it wasn't uh, that case. I wouldn't recommend it all the time. <laughs> no, if if you get the right musicians. See, the Beatles could have been so much better had they done it that way. Uh, well, the Beatles did do it that way in the early albums. Uh, George well, Martin actually, talks actually, about you, that. You're, you're quite right. Of course, uh, "Please Please Me" was uh, was one twelve hour recording session, wasn't it? Absolutely. That's right. I, I mean, as far as not talking to each other, but you're right, they were super quick. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, so certainly certainly <laughs> later on they did yeah, that. Yeah, later on they weren't talking. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but it is impressive. Um, and, and as you said, the quality of what they've come out, they, they came out with in the end. Um, and I'm interested, John, and I'm probably jumping off on a tangent here, but what's as far as you know, is Van Morrison's perception of this album today. And, and like you mentioned that he walked in and didn't communita- communicate. I know he's renowned as being a cantankerous old bugger. Um, I hope yes. Yeah. Not <laughs> yes. to imagine, I think, is the word. Yeah, I'd be interested. Like, does he, does he hate this stuff now or he just sees it as part of his canon? Or Like, I, I just, yeah, maybe no one knows. Well, that's a very interesting question because at the time, and for a couple of albums... Afterwards, he always used to whinge about the production, okay. saying he didn't like what they did and he would have done a, a differently himself. But the irony was when he did finally get to do things himself, it was nowhere near as good. Yeah. And if he rarely played this material in concert. If you get hold of the uh, Live at Montreux DVD, he mm-hmm. does play a couple of songs there. This is much, much later. This is like the late 70s. So I think he's got Georgie Fame in the group at that stage. Okay. Um, but he doesn't usually play uh, these numbers in his live set, apart from uh, that live album, double album of It's Too Late to Stop Now, where I think he did a version of Cypress Avenue on that. Um, But the interesting thing about it was nowadays, of course, he's got total control over what he does. Yes. And just in the last year or two, he did this Astral Weeks Live at the Hollywood Bowl concert. that That was not in the last year or two. That was 10 years ago. Well, November 2008. Ago. Okay. But the problem with that was it's a total antithesis of the original recording right. because what he's tried to do there is to reproduce the whole thing note for note. So the musicians then had no sort of flexibility or freedom yeah. to essentially jam with him like the original recordings back in 1968. So it's really weird that he decided 10 years ago to revisit this material but it did it in such a way that it's a very uninteresting result. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to check that one out. Um, and he, I mean, well, had... it's good because the music is so fantastic, but it's nowhere near as good as the original album. No. And so my understanding, the musicians on the original, so he had Connie Kay on the drums, Jay, is it, I always want to call it Berliner, but is it Berliner? Anyway, Jay Berliner. I or think Berliner's. Yeah. On guitar, uh, Warren Smith Jr. on percussion, and then they had a flautist, John Payne, and then um, it says Van's concert bassist, Tom Kyle Kilbania. I'm not sure. I assume that was on the yeah. recording. So it's a nice tight ensemble. 
in in terms of the in terms of the flute, yeah, John, 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 John Payne's on play. a John Payne's on a couple of songs, but he wasn't. Uh, John Payne came in for the title song, uh, which was Astral Weeks, which yes. was the fourth one recorded in that first session. For the first three songs, they had a, a, a different flautist that the, the bassist had brought in. And the name of that flautist is Lost to History. Oh, there you go. We, d- we don't know who it is. It's probably right. the guy from Jethro Tull. Right. Let's put no, that no, out probably, there. Probably because that's, that's the only so. other person who plays the that's flute. That's right. See, I knew these things. <laughs> or, 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 or maybe it was James Galway because he also <laughs> plays the flute. Um, (laughs) love it Um, any thoughts on you'd you'd think there'd be like a pay slip somewhere somebody could find out but but scholars have dug this up people have done really extensive research on this album and nobody can find the name of the flautist who was on those first three tracks well I've learned something tonight (laughs) see yeah (laughs) that's interesting and and I don't know Uh, you said about his you said about his session, uh, what was his touring bassist? Did you? Say? His concert bassist, yeah. Concert bassist. He didn't. Uh, I'm, play I'm, in the I sessions. mean, I mean, R- Richard John Davis, Payne, the, the flautist. Yeah, yeah uh, John, John was Payne. The main guy. Was, what, yeah, John Payne wasn't the guy who uh, Richard Davis brought in. John Payne was the guy no. that Van Morrison usually worked with. Uh, Richard Davis brought yes. in a different flautist, and nobody knows the name of that guy. Yeah. Okay. But what yeah, what John's saying is but about subsequently, the yeah. Sorry, but subsequently the um, the concert bassist and John Payne toured with Van. He actually ah, yeah. played this live for the first uh, year after it was recorded, and there was a three piece. It was the flautist who did play on the sessions, and the bassist who didn't. And Van, with his acoustic guitar, he did concerts following the recording of it. Right, and I like his quote. Not very well received, apparently. Okay, I like his quote that uh, when they were recording, they went right through the songs and cut all the solos out. If they hadn't have done that. Every track would have been the whole side of an album. That's a long yeah, album. See, that shows that they're basically jamming. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, and what do you know about the producer uh, of the album or the recording engineers, um, John? What stood out for you about the actual, without getting too deep into technical process, which we probably don't mm. have a lot of information on? I mean, how big an impact, given that Van Morrison came in, wasn't that communicative? How much of an impact did the engineer and producer have on it? I think the producer had a massive uh, input to it. I mean, people have downplayed it over the years and said this is the band's album, but he uh, had a notoriously antagonistic relationship with his producers. But the producer got all of this out of the musicians. The producer was the guy that, um, well, first of all, he was sent by Warner Brothers to talk to Van about recording, and Van played him the first few bars of Astral Weeks on his acoustic guitar, and the guy just had a transformational experience. Mm. He said, uh, he said he, he can't listen to it without getting uh, really emotional about it even now, like decades later. And he's the guy that got Richard uh, Davis to get the other musicians together because he came from a desk background himself. So the producer's very sympathetic with that style of thing and also the layout of the tracks and the way the album was put together and... Uh, from what I understand, the arrangement of the strings was largely down to the producer, Lou Merenstein. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look at the uh, layout of the album, it's got a, an A-side and a B-side, and the A-side is in the beginning, and the B-side is afterwards. So there's a real transition in going from side one to side two on the album. Now, back in the day, 
this was quite unusual as well for vinyl records. People just used to use slap tracks onto an album without much regard for the order or the running um, and how they all melded together. But in a sense, this is one of the first true concept albums because it does flow, but it flows in the order that the producer put together. Now, if you go to the Live at the Hollywood Bowl album from 2008, Van has slightly altered the order and it just doesn't work like it did on the original album. Yeah. There's no in the beginning and afterwards like uh, the producer Merenstein put together on the original album. So people like to claim this is Van's masterpiece and he did it all by himself, but I would argue that the producer had a lot of input to it as well. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think there are that many albums out there where the producer hasn't had a big impact, but you're right, this one is a great example. And just mm. going back to his saying about how he did, he was relatively non-communicative, I know the guitar player Jay Berliner um, talked about how Van would get very emotional in some of the, the takes or, or yeah. the sessions. So he got really worked up to a fever pitch. He came out of the booth a couple yes. of times very excited, especially, the, especially that first session. They were very, very happy with what was going on. So that probably mm. shows a little bit of another side of him that he, he does come across as this gruff leave me alone sort of guy, but um, he was certainly getting excited back then about what he was doing. Yeah, but when the spirit's moving him, uh, you know, there's nothing else matters. And it certainly did get moved. If you go to the, there's two streams of consciousness songs in particular, there's Cypress Avenue and Madame George. And in some of those songs, he just repeats the words over and over and over again. And if you're to read them on paper, they don't make sense. Mm. But you listen to uh, Madame George and he starts singing the love that loves to love, the love that loves to love, the love, the love, the love. It just sounds ridiculous when you see it on paper. Mm. But you listen to it and it's just absolutely stunning. So he's getting, he's getting carried away. He's getting very emotional because he's getting 
he's flowing with the music. It's just coming out of him. It's like um, so inspiration. And I want to get into some specific songs in a minute, John, but, I mean, just speaking of him getting emotional and that, I assume live that, that would occur here and there. Ha- have you seen him live? Yes, but I regret to say there were very disappointing concerts. Okay. When he visited Australia in, uh, let's see, it was the 80s at some stage, I think, mid to late 80s, I saw him in Sydney and I travelled down and met up with my mate Wayne from Brisbane and saw him in Melbourne as well. And they were very, very disappointing. So Quite the opposite for me. It was when I went to see Leonard Cohen live. Leonard Cohen for me was a revelation in concert because he did live up to all of his um, recorded work. But to see Van Morrison, like my favourite artist, yeah, so didn't didn't live up because in concert he's he's renowned for being hit and miss. You know, yeah. he's renowned for sometimes turning his back on the audience, sometimes storming out, and then other times doing a, a, a magical performance like that double album of It's Too Late to Stop Now, recorded back in the um, uh, 70s. Now, that is a like um, a revivalist church meeting, that all the way through. So he can be, but unfortunately when I saw him, he wasn't. No. And I, I'd love to know how him and Bob Dylan get on because it, it, it's, that description <laughs> reminds me a lot of Bob Dylan. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what people say about Bob Dylan. You're, you're either going to see the best concert you've ever seen in your life or you're going to want your money back. That's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so let's jump into some songs, John. So, I mean, it sounds to me, having listened to it for 50 years and, and loving it to bits, that you may not be able to pick favourites. But if you had to say two or three songs that really still um, do it for you and, and that you'd like to talk about more in depth... Well, that's very difficult because for me it's just one long song. Yes. But if I had to separate it out, I'd say the title track is a standout for me. And like I said in the essay, um, this is just an incredible work of art because it sums up for me the human experience. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack and the dead center back road stop Could you find me? Or would you kiss my eyes? Laying you down the Silence is to be born again To be born again From um, rebirth, um, childhood, loving, you go through the whole cycle and uh, it just encapsulates the whole thing. Um, if you, let me see if I can stop rustling the paper enough. Um, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, we know you're rustling. That's good. You rustle <laughs> away. Okay. Uh, like I said in the essay, I want to play it at my funeral because it sums up the human experience in the best way that I've ever come across. So the lyrics go, to be born again in another world, darling, in another world, in another time, got a home on high, ain't nothing but a stranger in this world, I got a home on high in another land so far away, way up in heaven, in another time, in another place, and another face. So that's literally being born into this world, going through the highs and lows of this world, and dying, Mm. and being reborn in another time and another place. To me, that's just... 
How can you say it better than that? Yes. That's quite apart from the music. That's just. That's right. That's just the lyrics. That's just the lyrics. And I know it's hard after, and I think most people, I mean, it's probably the most, I hate um, citing Spotify, but even just looking at Spotify, it's by far and away that song is the, the most played um, off, off the album. Um, after that, what what else? I mm-hmm. mean, you mentioned you, you like the free-ranging one, so Madam George and um, Cypress Avenue. Yeah. Yeah, I love the way that he does the stream of consciousness thing in uh, Madam George with the uh, when he gets into that love, the love, the love, the love. But um, the the other one that comes to mind and it's gone from um, the first track, Astral Weeks, is Beside You. He describes this himself. He says, this is just uh, like singing a song to a child. Little Jam is gone Away Out of the window to the falling rain, right on time, right on time. That's why I broke an arrow with his finger down the road, so dark and narrow in the evening. Just before the sun is six bell chime. Six bells chime. It all the doctor barking. Or someone that you feel spiritually close to. And for me, it's got some of the best uh, lines of poetry I've ever read, either in song or on the page. So the lines that really strike way across the country where the hillside mountains glide. The dynamo of your smile caressed the barefoot virgin child to wander. On your high-flying cloud, wrapped up in your magic shroud as ecstasy surrounds you, this time it's found you. And that's powerful. Powerful? That's amazing. Yes. And I know you've mentioned Madam George, John, so that I assume that's another big one for you. Yeah, but like I said, it's hard to separate them. It's all one long piece of music to me. But yes, Madame George is probably the third one. And and what what's the for those that haven't heard it? What's the the um, subject matter really for that song? Well, as Van himself says, it's a bit of a mystery to him. When he it first started coming through him uh, as inspiration, he um, heard it as Madame Joy. But he wrote it down as Madame George. Okay. So in the song, he, he starts singing about a transvestite. But in uh, the real world, he's got a clairvoyant aunt called Joy who lives just around the corner. <laughs> um, so there's a whole lot of and there's a whole lot of things in it about um, uh, the mystery of childhood, um, emergent sexuality, um, being overwhelmed by the whole experience. So it's a little bit like um, a small child is in a party, a room with a party, and Madame George is one of the characters there. And the whole um, upsurge of emotions is just a little bit overwhelming. And then Van goes off and starts singing about love. And uh, that's the part that's really worth listening to because it's a stream of consciousness stuff and it's uh, – of scat singing is not the right word, but he just he 
he gets carried away himself by this, a bit like they described in the recording sessions where he must have come out of that session feeling pretty good, I'd yes. say. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, they good call. And and Matthew, were there standout tracks for you or you're a bit in the same boat that it's it's one one experience? Well, no, I, I, I don't feel like it's it's one experience, partly, I suppose, because I first encountered it, you know, from one track. Yeah. Um, uh, namely Sweet Thing. And I, I, I love Sweet Thing. Um, I, I think the version of Sweet Thing that's on the best of Van Morrison is different to the version that's on Astral Weeks, or it's differently produced or something, because uh, the, the strings are a tad more prominent in the mix on the best of Van Morrison. They're a bit, you know, more um, lower down, a bit, bit more subtle. I love the way the, the I love the way that Sweet Thing kind of almost feels like it's going to fall apart. There's, there's 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 several bits in it where you feel like okay, the, the session's about to collapse. They're about to say okay, we'll we'll have to cut that one, uh, but they don't. They keep going and it, and it somehow manages to hang together. I, I I love that almost chaotic sense to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I, I, I absolutely, and, and, and the way that the, the strings are kind of discordant a little bit mm. as well, not, not very, but yeah. just, a, just a little bit off. Um, I, I, I absolutely love that. But, uh, I, I think, um, we, out, outside of sweet thing, which is, which is my entree to the album. I, I really like uh, slim solo rider. The, the last track slim on slow, the album. Slider. Yeah, slider. Yeah, sorry, slim, slim slow slider. It sounds like something slim, you get at a, gr- a, a grilled restaurant or something. But yes, <laughs> and it, it it kind of does. Yes, but uh, no. I, I, again, um, I'm wondering whether it, they remixed it for the best of Van Morrison album because they say it's remastered. Maybe they they changed the mix slightly. Mm. I, I I wonder. I wonder if if they did because it it just it feels a tad more. Uh, polished, a tad more compressed, or something, I suppose. Mm. Um, on the best of album. On, on, on the best of than it does on uh, on Astral yes. Week. Um, but yes, uh, Slim Slow Slider is is the only track uh, on Astral Weeks that doesn't have the string overdubs. It's um, much more. Um, well, what what you're hearing on the album is what they recorded at the time. There's there's no sort of revisiting of it. but apparently apparently that's that's one that he has performed in concert a few times as well mm-hmm. um and tend to sort of... But again, he doesn't know much about the song himself. It just came through yes, uh, yeah. as inspiration. But it's interesting that it's got a um, an overtone there because um, an earlier album he talked about TB Sheets. So he's actually had a, a person close to him, a girlfriend as far as I know, die of tuberculosis. So in this song, Slim Slow Slider, although it's not quite autobiographical, there are a lot of overtones there for somebody... Mm witnessing somebody dying yes now you wouldn't think this is uh, a very good premise for a song but it actually works tremendously well it does 
Um, and that was – it's mm. funny you say that, John, because I, I had not read any of the background information behind the songs when listening to that the first time and it's my favourite song on the album and it, I suppose mm. it's my nursing background but it, it just jumped out at me as, as being about death. Um, yes, but not just death. It's no. death being reborn as well. So that, there's a link back to the first song. So it's yes. a cycle. It's gone full cycle. It's gone from birth to the death to being reborn again. It's just amazing. You can just keep on playing it. Robbie Robertson described it as putting Astral Weeks on repeat. He said you can just listen to it forever. Yes. And and can I can I just throw in uh, the the way young lovers do, which which mm-hmm. on vinyl it was the album that opened side two. Uh, but of course, nobody listens to sides anymore. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it does, it doesn't that's got fit. a that's got a completely different feel to it. It's. We strolled through fields all wet with rain And back along the lane again During the sunshine In the sweet summertime The way that young lovers do I just do um, it's got a completely different feel, but there's a point to that song in the um, in the arrangement because in the first side, in the beginning, that's like uh, adolescence and beforehand. But the way young lovers do is afterwards. So um, he's no longer a virgin in, in more than uh, one sense of the word. Like he's been transformed by that experience. So even though the music might not be the best track on the album, the the flow works brilliantly again because just before it, he's in Cypress Avenue, stuck in a car, not being able to get out, um, and singing to his 14-year-old girlfriend. Afterwards, the first track on the second side, the one young lovers do, um, that relationship being consummated and he moves on for the rest of his life. So that's a really important mm. link, even though the music is not the greatest. In fact, he does it a bit like, I don't know, Frank Sinatra or somebody with a big band would do. Um, so <laughs> yeah. the music it, 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 it's and and uh, it was also it was recorded on uh, it was one of the first ones that was recorded in that in the second session and a lot right. of the musicians are different uh, from, from can, what we had the first session so I think there's 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 a, re- there's a whole bunch of reasons why it doesn't feel as organically part no. of what was recorded in that first session. Um, but yeah, okay. as you say, it, it, it is a little bit, uh, bit, 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 bit sonatory, a bit too. I know. Yes, there's something, there's something odd. <laughs> it, 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 it really doesn't fit for me. So it doesn't fit musically, but it's the important for, part for, of the story. For, for, for me, for me, that's the weak point on the album. Mm-hmm. I'd um, probably agree with that. I just want to see a Van Morrison Sinatra, not the leather happened duet. Now that would have been interesting, <laughs> yes, to say yes. the least. On one album, he talks about uh, singing a song. I think it's on uh, Hard Knows the Highway where he talks about Sinatra coming into the studio and uh, doing things in the first take and taking a vacation. <laughs> so <laughs> sort of the, the ultimate in cynicism, I guess. Absolutely. Um, now, look, that's, that's brilliant, John. I think um, you've covered your passion for what, what, what is, as Matthew mentioned, an iconic album that comes up regularly at the top, towards the top of Best of All Time. Um, anything else you wanted to add about the album generally before we wrap it up? 
Yes, there's one quote uh, in my essay that I just wanted to read out because um, to me it just sums it up because it's affected so many people so deeply and uh, it's um, a bit sphinx-like in that it's still a mystery. It's inexplicable, but nevertheless it affects people so deeply. So this is uh, Marcus, some guy Marcus, real Marcus. I think he used to be a, a reviewer for Rolling Stone at one stage. Anyway, back in 2010, <clears throat> he says, a few years ago in a class I was teaching, four students out of 16, none of them older than 21, named it as the album they most loved. How did it reach these people? How did it enter their lives? Music that was made well before they were born and yet spoke a common language. The records spoke to these people then. As far as they cared, it was made for them. They understood its language as soon as they heard it. Now, to me, that just encapsulates the appeal of the album. Absolutely. How can anybody, how can anybody who wasn't born at the time, respond to it like that? No, I agree. It, it certainly got it. Re, it resonates, and it is one of those albums that, if you've got any deep interest in music, it needs to be listened to. Um, says the guy who only listened to it fully from end to end in the last week. But to, <laughs> <laughs> to be totally transparent, but I mean, I I've always liked. Van Morrison and like, I mean even right up to his stuff well his more recent stuff I've listened to recently and even the when the John Lee Hooker version of Gloria is to one of my favourite rock songs of all time yeah um, yep. so yeah no he, he's definitely and I, I just I'd like to get in a room and just see how cantankerous he actually is that <laughs> <laughs> would be a bit hit and miss oh yes got to pick him on a, on a good day that's right but no John thank you for that it's been, it's been a great chat oh thank you thanks for the opportunity Okay, so there we have it, Astral Weeks. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to have to go and have another listen to it, Matthew. I still don't feel like I've gotten it yet. Yeah, I, I, I have opinions about albums that you either get or don't get. Uh, I, I, I think if it, if it hasn't grabbed you, maybe it won't. But I don't know, having had a chat about it, having had some of the sort of um, highlights pointed out to you, maybe, yeah, give, give it another listen. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't beat your head against a wall about it. No, frankly. Well, there's so many uh, albums, if, so little if, time. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, l- look at any of these top ten lists that Astral Weeks makes it onto. Uh, you'll find Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Revolver, Rubber Soul. <laughs> Abbey Road is another one that always makes these lists. See, there are there are many albums by many many great artists. <laughs> many, many uh, great artists. Su- such, such a variety <laughs> that you could be uh, be listening to instead. Absolutely. Al- uh, also, Pet Sounds. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. See, there's many, many artists. Oh, love it. I haven't even got out of the bees yet. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, well, I, I, and, and I'm still delicately balancing on my chair from when it broke in the intro. Just, just so as you know, I've, I've managed to do all this. Balletically, it's amazing. Well, if you'd like to go to patreon.com forward slash, I think it's Music Dissectors, you too can donate money to listen to this podcast and I promise... And buy me a chair. 50% of it will go to Matthew's new chair. <laughs> um, all right, I, I'm saying we're done, Matthew. So um, 
we'll be back in a month again. Um, but as always, in the meantime, if you'd like to offer an opinion, suggestion, or even offer yourself up as a guest, and we're always after guests. Our... Especially female entomologists. See, look good. I feel complete now. <laughs> um, please do email us at contact at themusicweek.net. We do have a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash music dissectors. Also, just as an aside, uh, I've set up a little bit of a, a Facebook page. Well, I have set up a Facebook page called um, New Music for Old Cynics. So if you, if you search for that on Facebook, New Music for Old Cynics, and all it is is a daily update of a song that might uh, put to bed the idea that there's no good music nowadays. The amount of times I hear that and I try and find a song, you, you're not going to like them all, but just really good quality, uh, mostly rock-based music, a little bit of electronic stuff in there, but stuff with a singer. Um, that you might enjoy. So I just thought I'd give that a plug. Not that we make anything out of it, but it's just a nice little thing to expand your horizons if that's what you're after. Not a bad idea. Um, So, yeah, you'll find the previous episodes of the show on iTunes and we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn and all episodes are, of course, on our website at themusicweek.net. So thanks very much for listening and thank you as always, Matthew. Thank you. And get off that chair. It's been great. Get off (laughs) that chair before you die. So... (laughs) As soon as, as soon as I stand up, the thing is going to collapse under its own weight. This is terrible. I should leave the record button on. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be back in a few weeks. And as always, um, find a new album to love. Good night. <laughs>